what if you could actually play the role of hero in your own story and obey the same principles you would use to write a story and actually live an interesting experience? And then I got obsessed with that because that's what I do and <laughs> began to kind of outline, well, you know, a hero is going to need to identify something that they want. A hero is going to need to knock back down whenever there's a challenge. A hero needs to turn the other cheek. Otherwise, they're going to quickly become the villain. You know, a hero is going to need to see something through until it's done. And I began asking myself the really simple question of, okay, if you were a character in a story and a character did what you're about to do, what would the audience think? And that changed everything for me. and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. So welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm so excited to be here today with Don Miller, who is the CEO of Business Made Simple Best-selling author. He's written books, including Blue Like Jazz, Building a Story Brand, and his latest, Here on a Mission, which I'm super excited to talk about. And so thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited for this. I'm honored to be on. Awesome. Well, I I also was excited to have you on because I have listened to your book. You, you narrate your own audiobooks and you have a podcast and you also have a great podcast voice. So it's always good to have someone on who has a good podcast voice. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I've never been told that. I'm like, you know, you listen to your own voice, really? you're hypercritical because I'm always like, oh gosh, but uh, no, it's, it's great. It's I'm great. glad to hear that. I was thinking of that as I was listening to, uh, to your, um, here on a mission book. Wow. Thanks. Um, but, but really so much of what you do, I think it would be great to start with so much of what you do is built around the elements of a great story. And you've done a lot of work to understand what makes a great story. So could we maybe just start there, just laying out for us, what are are those elements? Yeah, well, you know, I started uh, off my career as a writer. And so in order to write books that would keep people interested, I began to study story. And I found out pretty quickly, story is formulaic. That is stories that work, stories that captivate people's attention obey certain formulas. And some scholars would even just say, there's only nine of them. There's nine stories that you can tell and any other story won't work. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. these are these are serious scholars, Christopher Booker and Robert McKee and Blake Snyder. You know, they're very serious scholars. So that got me fascinated, right? What works? What keeps a person's attention? And so I began to mm -hmm. study that for years and wrote some books about that. And then started thinking, well, what if you actually, what, what if it works because it works in life? What if it works to be interesting, to make a character interesting, to be an exciting story, to be a meaningful story. What if you could actually play the role of hero in your own story and obey the same principles you would use to write a story and actually live an interesting experience? And then I got obsessed with that because that's what I do and <laughs> began to kind of outline, well, you know, a hero is going to need to identify something that they want. A hero is going to need to knock back down whenever there's a challenge. A hero needs to turn the other cheek. Otherwise, they're going to quickly become the villain. You know, a hero is going to need to see something through until it's done. And I began asking myself the really simple question of, okay, if you were a character in a story and a character did what you're about to do, what would the audience think? And that changed everything for me. Mm. You know, if I'm in an argument with my wife, if a mm -hmm. character said what you're about to say, <laughs> would they lose the audience? And I would say to myself, oh, yeah, definitely. They would lose the audience and they would quickly be the villain in the story. Don't say it. And it just kind of became a guiding sort of force in my life that, I, you know, Julie, as I employed it in ways that are very informal because I, I, I didn't know what I was doing everything started getting better. My relationship started mm -hmm. getting better. I, be, I started to get it, become more healthy. I started to make more money. Money stopped owning me or controlling me in the way that it used to. Uh, as we had a baby, I was able to stop uh, my career ambitions and throttle back on that in order to spend more time at home. Not just because that's what a character would do and I want people to like me, but because I, I found that if I did the things a good character would do, I was more fulfilled. 
And it began to be a filter in my life that began to improve my life. Mm -hmm. Such a, such an interesting filter. I'm thinking about that now, how to, how to catch my thoughts or actions before I, before I make them. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you're, if you were in a movie and you did that, (laughs) you know, it, it works so many ways, you know, it keeps you from being a jerk. It keeps you from, you know, if you walk around feeling sorry for yourself all the time, what character are you in the movie? Mm-hmm. You're, the, you're the victim. Yeah. And so what happens to the victim? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they get rescued. Somebody else gets all the glory and the victim ends up being a bit part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, could you, if you think about, I know you're, you're only just getting started in life, but you've already lived a great story up until now. And it feels like you are, you know, the hero just taking off, but how would you summarize your life so far using these elements of a story? Well, uh, you know, there's so many great stories about a misfit screw up who figures things out. (laughs) (laughs) And I I would, I would begrudgingly and confessingly admit that is my story. (laughs) That's an absolute moron who's slowly figuring things out and emphasis on the word slowly. Uh, But figuring things out and and not getting stuck as the victim and and not changing at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, not, you know, figuring out how to, less and less play the victim and more and more play the hero. And, 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 you know, I hate to use the phrase play the hero because it makes it sound like everything's about you, mm-hmm. but heroes really are very afraid, unskilled, ill-equipped, usually can't get the job done in desperate need of help. They just have one characteristic that makes them a hero. And that's that they keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. They just keep pressing into the story in order to see what happens against all odds. Mm. And I think if I've developed any ability, maybe it's the ability to do that, to just keep going. In fact, I remember when I was younger watching football and saying, you know, the key to these running backs is they just keep running. I mean, you see guys like hanging off of their helmets and they do not (laughs) stop moving until they are kissing the ground. And I just thought, well, I'm not kissing the ground yet. I've still got, you know, this thing is that whatever this is, this financial difficulty, this relationship difficulty, whatever it is, this book that is driving me crazy and bringing me to the mm-hmm. ground. I'm not on the ground yet. So keep moving. And mm-hmm. you find that you get more yardage out of life when you have that mentality. Mm-hmm. So true. And I think, you know, as I was was looking at this book, I was I read it a few months ago and I went back to here on a mission just preparing for this conversation. And I could not, it could not have come at a better time. So thank you. Because I just as I've come off of a, a week of vacation and reflection and going into the new year, a few things became clear to me about how there were certain areas in my life that I was stuck in a victim mindset or stuck in a, you know, like, oh, this is just the way it is and there's nothing I can do about it. And thinking about even what you just said or feeling paralyzed, like, oh, I I feel stuck and I don't even know where to start because it's also overwhelming. But what you just said is often it's just moving. It's just taking a step. It's just moving forward to get yourself out of that place where you're, you're stuck and you're not changing. Yeah. I'm I'm a big believer in forward motion, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm also a believer in, and I've had to learn this as I've gotten older and, and the pendulum has sort of had to swing back a little bit and leveling out. I'm also a believer that sometimes you are in a hard situation and sometimes it is painful. And sometimes it's not in our self-interest to not admit that this hurts Mm -hmm. and actually feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the first time, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, Julie, for the first time in maybe five or 10 years, maybe two weeks ago, I got really sad and I got sad for about 48 hours. And I was sad because it just didn't feel like life was good. And I could sit there and make a list of all the things, but here, you know, there's people I love who are, who are in their final months. There's, you know, all sorts of things happening that were worth being sad about, but it's just not my disposition to be sad. And I actually went to my wife and I said, Hey, I'm sad. <laughs> she was like, what? I said, I'm sad. I don't know why I'm just sad. She just became the most comforting, nurturing person over the next 48 hours. And I realized this actually feels really good and really right to accept this kind of nurturing until about 48 hours in my pride took over. I was like, Hey, I'm not sad anymore, by the way. Like I'm <laughs> done being sad. Yeah, sad. <laughs> so I think everything kind of have its place has its place. And I don't mean to ever victim shame, you know, somebody there, there's an appropriate place for that. But 
One of the things yeah. that you have with heroes and great stories, they experience the sadness and then they get up, right? Mm -hmm. they, they don't, if you start to shame yourself for being sad, then you are playing two characters, the victim and the villain. Mm -hmm. So neither of them are really very helpful, you right. know? So to be able to sort of comfort yourself and accept the comforting that you need, and then to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up and move on, I think is a very healthy way to live. That is such a great point and such a, such a fine balance or something that takes, I think, a process of learning of when is this, you know, emotion that I need to feel and release because we don't want to numb ourselves to those things. And that's yeah. part of being human, but also um, not getting stuck there, not letting it become a new mood or disposition, but just allowing those feelings to, to kind of pass through. And then, and knowing how to, this for me is knowing how to get yourself back up, like, so that you don't become that victim. Or that that doesn't become your identity. I think I think that's the mm -hmm. real danger is when we start thinking of ourselves as somebody who always loses and who always gets taken advantage of and who always I think that's that's the real danger that that life has a way of attacking your identity. And it feels like that's the thing that we have to protect against all cost. Yes. Uh, unless unless there is an element of life that feels like a drain that we are being suck down <laughs> and to be able to say, no, I'm going to cling on to, to this whole thing. And I'm not going down yes. that drain. Uh, yes. And I'm going to reach out to other people and hold on to them so they don't go down the drain either. You know, to right. me, it almost feels like that's the, that's the role we're all supposed to play in life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and if you are, are thinking of yourself as a character in a story, then it becomes easier to, to see that and, and not let that become your identity because you want to be Hopefully, you don't want that to be your identity in the Hopefully story not. that you're writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, it's funny that I'm saying this because I'm speaking to somebody who has many, many, has won many championships formally and informally. <laughs> and I, I, nobody would ever think that Julie has trouble, you know, with victim mindset. But I, I think it's a great point that we all do, right? I mean, we all I, I don't do. Care who's on top of the podium? And yet it just feels like the people who become champions, and you can speak to this, are the people who, who didn't, they felt that, but it didn't take them. And mm -hmm. I'm curious how you, how you have overcome that or fought that, or what are some of the strategies you've used to not let, to not let that take you down? Totally. Well, I think for sure having people, you know, the right people around you, I yeah. think is very important. The people who can say, look, this isn't you, what's going on. Let's figure out what's, what's happening. And then for me, being able to to notice when I'm shifting into that place or having those thoughts, being more just being more aware of those thoughts. I think previously I probably was not even very aware of them. And then having certain tools that I can use. Like if I start feeling myself go that direction, um, knowing I need to exercise or I need to go be around people or I need to jump in a cold plunge or laugh or um, uh, I'm trying to think of else like breathing is something that helps me a lot doing deep breathing or breath work, um, things like that, that I know I can do that are going to help me snap out of that place or stop, yeah. stop those kind of thought cycles. I like even what you said about, right. I could write down on a list. I've done that before. I write literally take out a piece of paper and write down here are all the things that I could be so grateful for. And just that practice will start shifting your mindset. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I did that just the other day, woke up in that sad funk and went, you have a beautiful, wonderful wife and a great relationship. You have a beautiful, <laughs> wonderful daughter. That's right. You are financially taken care of for a long time into the future. You have a job that you love. And by the end, of, I couldn't even finish. I was like, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <There's nothing laughs> right. Like, okay, no, clearly this is a good life. <laughs> no, but it's tough. It's tough when you get in that spot. So I found myself there last week when I was on vacation and I was at the beach and I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm in the most beautiful place. I'm on vacation. Why am I? Then I start judging myself. But, but being able to, like you said, recognize when those emotions just need to be released and feel them and let them go, but then knowing how to pick yourself back up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then even accepting those emotions as they are, because sometimes I don't know about you, but when you try to fight something, it fights back harder. Mm -hmm. And so here you are on this beautiful beach and some sort of sad emotion begins to over, you know, overtake you a little bit. 
what a fun thing to be able to say, oh, what a beautiful place to be sad for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, Victor Frankel, my favorite psychologist says, your subconscious will make a list of everything negative, but you mm-hmm. actually have to apply your conscious mind to the other side of the piece of paper, which is everything positive. That's and he so said, true. if you can take your executive brain and write down the positive things, the spotlight that is on your mind will shine more on the positive than the negative. But if you don't do that exercise, you will begin to think that the negative list is all is all that there is. And mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's so much to what we expose our minds to. As you were saying that, it made me think about, you know, whether you're watching the news all day and being depressed about the world or whether you're watching uplifting videos and listening to podcasts and books and things that that are going to make you think in a different way or think more positively. Do you see your mind? I know you that you are you're an incredibly healthy person. Yeah, that's obviously one of the points of your podcast. And I'm pursuing health. <laughs> I can't yeah, say I'm there yet. <laughs> but I would imagine nutritionally, you eat a lot of almonds and salmon, right? So do you, do you, my, fair, my fair share. Have you have you also applied that to your mind? That that In same idea of, of like like this is not nutritionally healthy for me to think about, so I'm not going to listen to it, or I'm not going to read it, or I'm not going to watch it. Oh, one million percent, yes. Wow. Yes. But it wasn't something I was aware of before. I think I like to think I've had a big focus on this myself the last couple of years. I like to think about, you know, I did so many years of school and I was training sort of my mental, um, mental side. And then I did CrossFit and I was trying to reach peak physical fitness. And I feel like now I'm on this pursuit of emotional, spiritual fitness. <laughs> and so <laughs> I definitely do think about it that way. Yes, I do think about it that way. And even just the thoughts, like not just what you expose yourself to, but the thoughts that you allow yourself to have. And it is a constant struggle. I mean, I've already had many, you know, times this morning where I was catching myself like, no, that's not helpful to be dwelling on this or thinking about this. And so it's a constant process for all of us. What's an absolute no for you in terms of information consumption and entertainment consumption? What's like a no-go? Okay. So I don't, I honestly don't consume. I rarely watch TV. I did watch recently. This is actually very rare. I've watched two TV shows in the past year. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Movies I watch occasionally, but not a ton. I just haven't. Like I, it's something I'm actually. What are you doing with your time? Are you reading? Um, reading podcasts. Um, I'm trying to think. You meditate. Yeah, that's mostly it. I meditate. Yes, I meditate. Do you use an app? So this year I went on a deep, I've used, experimented with many apps over the years. I like the waking up app. I really like, they do a 30 day intro to meditation that I found to be very helpful. I did that maybe a year and a half, a little more than a year ago. And then this year I did a deep dive on transcendental meditation and I went to a Joe Dispenza meditation retreat also. And so I've, I probably did Joe Dispenza, like his meditations for about eight months this year. And then I, I did transcendental and I've been kind of sticking with that for the time. Are they, but, have they been transformative? I, I hear Ray Dalio talking about it all the time and he absolutely says they're transformative. Absolutely. Yes. And I wouldn't have believed it, you know, years ago when I dabbled and I would do five minutes here and there, I was like, what is that? I feel like this is a major difference, but for me, and I think it does, if you, you know, if you stick with it, still five minutes is still helpful, but um, I have noticed a huge shift since really focusing on that this year, where I would say most days I've spent at least 40 minutes meditating. And I do notice a huge shift just in my general calmness approach life, like things don't get, don't rattle me as much. I am much more aware of the thoughts I'm having so that I can be, I can be selective about the ones that I pay attention to or the ones that I don't. I, I guess I would highly recommend it for anyone. Very cool. But, but it's not for everyone. So there's also times where meditation is just, you're just not in a state to meditate. And that's where I use things like exercise or breathing or tapping. Emotional freedom technique is something else I've experimented a lot with this year, which I think is a more active form of meditation or calming tap, your nervous Tapping system. like tap dancing? Tapping. So you would like tap on oh, certain yes. places. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, Have you seen I've, that? Yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. Yes. It's a way so to sort I, of connect your right and bre- left brain. Yes. And just really, it's just calming your nervous system. It's putting you into more of a parasympathetic state. It's, it's bringing you more into the present moment um, and out of your head, more into your body and out of your head. Very cool. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> on that topic, 
Tell me a little bit more. You mentioned Viktor Frankl, and I know you write about him too. He's had a huge impact on just your life and your approach. But what are what are some of the biggest ways you think his his work has influenced you? I discovered Viktor Frankl in a bookstore in Washington, D.C. And it was at the end of a seven-week bicycle ride. I started in Los Angeles and ended up mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. And the next day, me and my friends who did this ride would cross Delaware and ride our bikes into the ocean. And we did that. But I, I, I was in a bookstore in D.C. And I, I had this haunting suspicion that the next day would be one of the greatest days of my life. And then the next season would be one of the most difficult and maybe mm-hmm. even a struggle with depression. Because mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd done some fun things before that were, were difficult and a, and a challenge and, you know, that I had to train for and, and or write, you know, a book for a year yeah. and then the book comes out and, you know, those sorts of things. And there's always like this anticipation of a real high followed by this always. Just deep. It's, it always happens. Yes. And so I was thinking about that when I saw this book called Man's Search for Meaning, which apparently I'm the last person to discover because <laughs> when I discovered it, it already sold like 10 million copies. I think by now it's sold 20 million. So apparently I'm the last guy. And I read that book on the plane on the way home. And that book explained to me why that phenomenon happens and how to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And that's that was the medicine that that book offered me. And basically it said, in order to experience meaning, you have, to, you have to be driven toward a certain objective that is defined. You have to be doing this in community with friends. And you have to have an okay and accepting relationship of the pain you are going to encounter. Mm-hmm. He, he, that's basically it. Those three mm-hmm. things. Now, that philosophy of his was developed inside of the concentration camps where he lost his wife, his unborn child, his mother, and his father. And obviously, millions of other Jews were killed. Mm-hmm. And that's where he was practicing that idea. And, you know, to be under that kind of weight. And within three months of leaving the concentration camps, he survived three different concentration camps. And within three months of leaving, he was on a lecture tour defending the idea that life was both beautiful and meaningful. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, he's a heroic human being. And so I began to sort of prescribe that that medicine to myself that those that th- those three steps and that is always have something that you're driving toward or multiple things stay in community don't do this in isolation mm-hmm. and whenever something painful happens accept it and actually try to figure out how to metabolize this pain for for the benefit of yourself and for the benefit of the people around you mm-hmm. and when i started doing that i stopped riding the roller coaster and, and in some ways, I just decided never get, to get off of the roller coaster. So the second that I got back home and after reading this book, I, I say the second, it probably took me about two weeks to realize, hey, if you don't do something mm-hmm. interesting here, you're going to end up crashing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at the time, you know, the, uh, Barack Obama was running for president. He was a new senator. I was a Republican, but I was attracted to this guy's policies and things that he had proposed in Congress on fatherhood and healthy families. And so I pursued his office and got to know somebody in his office and said, hey, if there's ever anything that this senator needs to, needs for me to do, I'm a Republican, I'm an evangelical, I, mm-hmm. I don't typically vote for Democrats, but I would be willing to help. And then he was, the guy was elected president and he called and said, you know, you said you'd help, get over here. Come on, <laughs> so, we need help. <laughs> he, yeah, he put me on this, he didn't call me personally, his people called. Uh, but he but he put me on a task force and I just did a deep dive into with a group of about 10 people proposing all sorts of legislation. That, that was my introduction to politics, my introduction to the White House. I didn't know anything about the stuff, mm-hmm. but it was so exciting and so fun. And we ended up passing. They ended up passing a bunch of different things, doing a bunch of different things uh, that that I think, you know, helped a lot. One of them mm-hmm. was curbed retention rates of people going back to prison. Because they they had they introduced these fathers back to their families in a very healthy way and gave them more mm-hmm. a more meaningful life so that they wouldn't keep committing crimes, and it was just really incredible. And then when that as as that started to end, you know, I figured out something else. I started a business. I started a mentoring program for kids. I just kept moving forward and and diving into new stories. 
And mm-hmm. as long as I was in a story facing a challenge, I was okay. Mm-hmm. But if that challenge ended or if I accomplished something and the credit started to roll on that story and I stayed there in the dark theater looking at a blank screen, I would struggle with depression. Mm-hmm. And I realized Victor Frankl is on to something. You know, he's on to he's on to how to avoid so many of the problems that we face in life because we are literally like a character that doesn't have a story. And we're just and if, you, if you're a character that doesn't have a story, somebody else is going to give you a story. A corporation, mm-hmm. a political party, a religion, somebody else is going to give you a story to live. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but you are not in control of it. So I learned to just keep figuring out what sort of story I wanted to live into and did. And, and since then, you know, got married, started a story about a family. We built a ridiculous sort of mini retreat center, Julie, that you have been to. <laughs> And we we wrote that story. That story ended recently. Started a story about starting a company. I have some friends who want to dabble in in sort of a political effort that mm-hmm. I'm going to jump into, and just kind of keep myself distracted from any form of fatalism. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the goal that mm-hmm. I have in life. That's is, right. Yeah, and it's and it's, so far it's worked. So interesting because I think you know I've just you just made me think about back in life times where I've had that phenomenon of finishing something big and feeling sort of depressed for like after a big CrossFit games, or even I remember in high school, because I was such an intense student, I would get so worked up by the end of the year. And then I would feel a little depressed the first few weeks of summer because it was over. But then I think about the times where that didn't happen. And it was because I had something next. You know, I think about when my CrossFit career ended early, I tore my Achilles and I would have expected to be really bummed and upset because it wasn't how I how I expected. But I was I went right into med school and finishing med school, and so that was my next thing. And and I I sort of surprised myself that I didn't have that period of feeling really down. When you were talking though, I think one thing that's interesting to me is there's something about you said distracting yourself, but but it seems like you everything that you do is very intentional and very purposeful, and there's a difference between just finding things to distract ourselves with to to kind of stay busy and doing things that are stories worth writing, like stories that really are, are coming from a a deep place in your heart that you want to fulfill. So how do you, how do you approach that? Or as you're thinking about what your stories are going to be? Yeah, because the, the far side of living a great story is giving into the addiction of distraction. And it doesn't work. I mean, you, you can take it too far where you're really only doing exciting things because you're a stimulation junkie. And that, and where, here's how you know. Here's how you know the difference between whether or not you're a stimulation junkie or a person who's trying to live a great story. If you're a stimulation junkie, you are letting people down all over the place who depend on you for mm. nurturing and relationship because you always have to jump on the next plane. And you always have to be in the next, uh, you know, exciting thing. Meanwhile, your responsibilities are back home, lonely, mm-hmm. waiting for you to come home. And you're, that's not a great story at all. And so, you know, you can take all of this way, way too far. And I've had to think about that. I've had to literally say, hey, I really like my company. I like the business I'm building. There's a lot more money if I do this. I would be leaving a wife at home and a daughter who, you know, wouldn't grow up knowing her dad very well because he's always mm-hmm. on the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think everything, here's something I'm learning late in life. I'm learning that that everything has to exist in balance and that there's almost no way to achieve perfection. There are only ways mm-hmm. to improve things. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are only ways to make things better, but nothing is ever actually fixed. It's a broken world. And someday we hope God's going to fix it somehow, but we mm-hmm. aren't. We aren't going to. So all we can do is make it better and better. And for me, it's always sort of living with this. It's not perfect, but it's better. Mm -hmm. And being able to improve on my health, being able to improve on my relationships, being able to improve on my business, everything, we're just trying to make it better. But I think it would be a giant letdown if we thought we could fix things because that's an expectation that we will never achieve. Mm -hmm. 
we can't be God. <laughs> we can't, we can't do out, everything. <laughs> turns out we can't be God, which to me is a giant weight off. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. <laughs> All that pressure. Yeah. No, that just reminded me, actually, I I pulled some quotes from your book because you have so many good one-liners in there, by the way. It's great oh, to, to read and listen to, but so many great one-liners that could just stand on their own. But you said... What if life is not designed to be a joyride? What if we're not here to be entertained? What if instead life was a noble duty? That's so, Victor Frankl's ideas. I mean, those are his yeah. ideas. He, he, Victor Frankl would say, it's not uh, your place to ask uh, what life has for me, right? Mm. It's life's place to ask you, what are you going to contribute? Mm -hmm. Right. And it feels so unfair sometimes to think, wait a second, I never asked to be born. I never asked to be placed into this challenge. And you can see right there in that mentality, we can choose to accept the challenge that life is or be bitter about having to experience it. And mm -hmm. that is the difference between a hero and a victim. That's the difference. And so we get to, that's, the, that's the principal question. Do you accept the challenge that you are unfairly and unjustly thrown into? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to resent and be angry about having been thrown into it? And that question will determine the quality of your life, how you answer it. And the, the hard thing, Julie, is we have to answer that question every single day, mm -hmm. right? And if we say, I accept it, we end up living a life that is, that is filled with meaning and impact and nurtures and betters the people around us. And if we say, no, I'm going to resent it, then we end up feeling this pain and feeling sorry for ourselves. Or worse, we begin to seek vengeance on life itself for putting us in this situation. And that's where you become a villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It's so, it's so subtle. And something else that I think is subtle but but I'm interested to hear how you approach this is, you know, we have to, like you said, write our own stories. We have to have some sort of our own locus of control that's that's internal um, in order to be the hero of our stories. But then also there's this certain amount of life that's outside of our control or there's, you know, thinking about how much do we, if we are believing in a higher power, how much do we trust and surrender to that, that the part of that plan that that God might have for us. So how do you balance that between, you know, writing your own story, but then also being open and, and trusting that there might be a plan that's, that's greater than you can see right now. Well, I mean, I'm with you. I firmly believe there's, there's something going on that we don't understand. And I firmly believe that I have no more ability to explain the meaning of this life, then my pancake has the ability to explain the meaning of breakfast. I mean, I really just don't <laughs> you know, G.K. Chesterton said, if you can get God inside your head, meaning if you can understand him, it's a very small God, you know? <laughs> and so there's something going on that's much bigger than any of us can possibly understand, which in itself is very humbling to think that. But also, whatever that is, whatever God is, whatever the spirit being that he is, and I, and I don't pretend that any of us have any kind of explanation because I think it's completely out of our realm of understanding. However, mm -hmm. whatever that is shares agency with us. I mean, literally says, let's write this thing together. Mm -hmm. So God is writing the part about sunrise, sunset, the cosmos, uh, gravity, water, e you know, the ecosystem, wrote, all of that is exposition, mm -hmm. uh, setting that he created. Then he created you and he put a spirit in you. And then he said, okay, I'm not going to dictate, Julie, what you do with your life, but I'd love to partner with you. What ideas mm -hmm. do you have? What do you want to do? And, yes. you know, if I, I, I've got this beautiful 18-month-old daughter who is just such a blast. If I, if I were to say to her, hey, Emmeline, here's the deal. You're going to finish high school. You're going to go to uh, University of Tennessee. Uh, you're going to study to be a mathematician. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna minor in physics, and then you're gonna work in the space industry. And then you're gonna, by the way, you can only marry an accountant. And then you're gonna, <laughs> you would say, Don. You would pull me. I mean, we know each other well enough. To know, I know that you would pull me aside and say, Don, what in God's name are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that. You're being over controlling and overbearing. And so these ideas that float around in some religious circles that God is a dictator who determines your every move and you have no agency, mm -hmm. I, I, that is a horrifically abusive God. 
Mm-hmm. But if that God shares agency with you, then what that God is really doing is creating somebody to have a relationship with. And you know, um, Jack Black, of all people, had some really great fathering advice. And his kids were playing in a ditch behind the house one day. And you know, Jack probably grew up poor like I did. And he looked at his kids and said, no kid of mine is going to play in a ditch. So he goes and gets them, takes them to Disney World, does all these amazing things. And uh, through that entire effort, he finally realized that the best thing that he could do as a dad is get into the ditch and play with them. Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just join them in whatever imaginative, beautiful thing that they're creating. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I heard Jack Black of all people say that because now when my daughter is you know, on the living room floor and the little sample rug that the interior designer you know, <laughs> gave us is actually a bed and she's putting her dolly to bed in the bed, I'm like, that's a bed and we're going for it, right? Yeah. Diaper, what does she need? Because uh, I have a feeling that God really enjoys joining us in the worlds that we're creating. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, if my daughter said, you know, hey, let's go smoke cigarettes. There's a point where I say, no, 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 we don't do that. There's right. ethics, there's morals, there's so. unwise decisions where God steps in and says, I can't let you do that. But uh, for the most part, it's free reign. Mm-hmm. I love that. I've, I love the, the notion that God wants to co-create your dreams with you. And, yeah. and that it is like a partnership, like you said. I think that's really, really beautiful. Yeah. So we touched on some of these, but you talk that you outline what are the necessary elements for a person to, to transform or to become a hero in their own story. So if someone's thinking about, you know, okay, how do I write my own story? What what would we want to be thinking about? Well, uh, you know, if you're a character in a story, a screenwriter has to make some things happen. And you are going to have to make some things happen too in order to transform and experience a deep sense of meaning. One of the things is we want a defined objective. And so we want to be able to say, you know, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Uh, I'm going to pay off all my debt. I'm going to, you know, create 25 great memories with my family this year. The, whatever objective it is, and it really hardly matters, it needs to be defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't be vague. So you can't say, well, I'm going to write a great story this year by being a better father. It's too, that's way too mm-hmm. elusive. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got to be really, really defined in how we are going to be a better father or how we are going to, you know, extend our lives by 10 years by eating better or how, you know, we've got to be really, really defined in what we want. And that's the first thing. The second thing is we have to understand and accept that at that point, forces are going to work against you, period. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Stephen Pressfield says it best in The War of Art. Every beautiful thing that is trying to be created is attacked. And the the number one way to never be attacked is to just not try anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a, a recipe for a life that doesn't have any meaning. Mm-hmm. So the second thing we've got to do is we've got to accept the fact that this means I'm not going to want to get out of bed at 5 a.m. This means that, you know, I'm going to be tempted to go on a business trip when I need to stay home. This means that chocolate chip cookies have this amazing way of tasting like chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, you know, so we accept these things and we overcome them. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is it's in that pain, it's in the challenge and the sacrifice is maybe a better word. That is the only element in life that actually transforms you. Mm-hmm. So the experience of joy does not transform you. The experience of love actually does not transform you. What experiences you is the challenge that you face in order to make love happen, mm-hmm. the daily sacrifices. And, you know, we've experienced this, my wife and I recently, I've realized that the most beautiful things in life have a corollary challenge associated with them. So, you know, one of the most beautiful things I experienced was marrying Betsy. I got married at 42. So it took me a long time to figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, got married. There is a, and, and with that beautiful experience, there is a challenge, right? You're, yes. now, you now have a roommate who finds you <laughs> annoying. So there's this there's a challenge. <laughs> How do we overcome that. this? And then Betsy and I, you know, we bring a life into this world. Uh, God knows the, the bonding that must, you know, if you say, why does a woman bond so much stronger with a child? 
because of the pain that she had to experience that you didn't have to experience, you fool. She earned this. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, I remember my buddy Thad came over about, I think about two and a half months after Emmeline was born. And we jumped in the pool one night, we're swimming around the pool. And he's like, Hey, what, you know, how is it? And I said, Dad, I feel like we're locked inside of a prison. We literally have Stockholm syndrome. We are in love with a person who has taken us hostage. We literally, we literally have to negotiate how to get to a grocery store and back, right? I mean, it is, I never saw that coming, the amount of challenge that it is. And parents will laugh because mm-hmm. they remember those days. But it's the pain that actually makes the love happen. And it's the pain that mm-hmm. makes the transformation happen. And the, the, the person that I was a year and a half ago before I became a father and the person I am now is, was 100% different for one reason, pain, mm-hmm. pain. And so there is no transformation without pain, just like in your physical body, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're not willing to hurt for a long period of time consistently over years. You're just not going to win any kind of major contest. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to do it. And so that that's the the second thing that you you would need to understand. And then I think the the rest of it more or less takes care of itself. I mean, if you say, I want to do this thing and I want to make this thing happen, and you're willing to accept the challenge and move into it, you will be transformed. And one of the mm-hmm. beautiful things about stories is almost every one of them, without fail, is about a character who had insufficiencies and deficiencies, who overcame very hard things in order to see those challenges go away. You, li- you, you would have a hard time naming any story that isn't about that. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at King's speech, you got King George, he's got a stutter. He's extremely insecure, feels mm-hmm. like God has literally appointed and destined the wrong person to be king, mm-hmm. cannot live up to his father's you know, reputation. And at the end of the story delivers a stunning speech without stuttering and realizes he does in fact have what it takes to lead at least ceremonially, ceremonially, the allies against these evil forces that are coming out of Germany. You know, mm-hmm. th- that's every story that you can think of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoosiers is about a group of guys who just didn't feel like champions until they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and their identity changed. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that, one of the beautiful things about that is it's an invitation to actually take all the stuff that we hate about ourselves and work really hard at something in order to experience an event or an accomplishment that transforms our identity and says, wait, I, I'm not that person anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. that. I remember years and years ago, truly believing that I was bad at relationships and would never be good at them. And I don't believe that anymore. Look at you now. I'm not the best, but I, you know, <laughs> but I'm not bad at relationships. I'm a pretty okay. good friend and I'm a pretty right. good husband. I'm a, I'm a decent yeah. dad, you know, and uh, I, I, that's a transformation for me. Well, I'm curious for you, how did that transformation come about? Because I think you even talk about in order to write these stories and to, you know, put yourself in your story as a hero, some of us have to overcome some limiting beliefs. So I think all of us have to overcome some degree of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of X, Y, or Z becoming a hero. So I'm I'm curious for you. How was it that you helped overcome that that belief to where you are now? Yeah, well, two things: um, guides, mm-hmm. and when I say, when I say guides, I really mean mentors, friends, therapists, mm-hmm. uh, people who could speak into my life. It's really hard to look in a mirror and, yeah. and say things to yourself that that affect change. I think that can happen, but it's much more powerful to have somebody else come in and say, mm-hmm. "Hey." I heard you say this the other day. I don't see you like that at all. Mm-hmm. That, that's not the person I know. And, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. It's almost like they set you free, right? I'm actually right. not that person. And so guides are very, very helpful. And then the next thing for me was just, is, is I have to, I would have to take action. Mm-hmm. So I have to do something that I didn't think I could do previously do. Mm-hmm. And then when I do that thing, I, I slowly begin to eat away at my identity and transform it into something else. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's just a matter of belief. I think a lot of times belief follows action and they, and they Mm -hmm. work in tandem. They work, you know, sometimes the cart before the horse, sometimes the horse before the cart, but belief and action are the two ways to do it. You know, years and years and years ago, my, my beautiful, wonderful sister who lives in Houston, Texas, who I love, uh, you know, we just kind of changed schools and my sister was having a hard time. 
So she went to see the counselor at the school and the counselor called my mother and said, your daughter is having some self-esteem issues. And my mom said, okay, well, you know, do we need to hire a therapist? Do we need to do this? She goes, well, I wouldn't start there. And she goes, well, my mom said, well, what do I do? And the, literally the counselor said this, you need to get her a really expensive haircut. <laughs> and my mom was like, are you being serious? Goes, yeah. Like every girl loves to look in the mirror and look pretty. And my mom was like, it's that simple. She goes, well, it might not be that simple, but we'll find out. It's so she went and spent a bunch of money on a haircut. My sister was great. Like she walked around. <laughs> you know, sometimes you know, there's some deep stuff we got to deal with, but hey, don't overthink it, right? Just go That's get a win. So Just go get That's... some kind of win and let's move on. So true. That's so true. And that's, um, you know, even like you said, writing your story of, okay, if I were a person who believed I was great at relationships, what would I do? And like yeah. trying to start take the, taking those actions. That's cool. That's cool. I think about one thing I did this year, you know, I'm, I'm working through my own, you know, limiting beliefs. But one thing I did this year, I had always had this belief that I'm just not, I'm not outgoing or I'm, I'm shy or I'm not good at, uh, you know, meeting new people. And so I had a goal this year of just starting 100 random conversations with people (laughs) and, I had that belief for sure at the beginning and I had some big flops. I'll tell you, there's some really weird ones that, that didn't go so well. Well, you can't just say that. The, you actually have to tell a story about the, the flop. More... That's <laughs> tell us about the, the, the... Well, uh, there was one, there was one day where I thought, okay, I'm really, I'm going to just get the ball rolling here. I'm going to meet a bunch of people today. So I was in New York and I just went out and rode the subway for like two hours Wow! and just started talking to random people. And there was one, like, I, I think it was this kid who was just coming home from school. He had, he had some, a uniform on, so he must've gone to a, you know, a school where he had to wear a uniform. And I tried to start talking to him. I think he was like 16 and he just thought I was the weirdest person. He's like, why is this person talking to me? I'm just trying to go home from school. So he didn't say much, but um, yeah, I'm sure there were much, much other, there was one where this woman basically just said like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. Well, that's going to happen a lot more in New York. You should have done yeah. that in Oklahoma. Yeah. That would be a lot more. But I figured if I can, if I can put myself out there in New York, then, you know, I can yeah, there you go. it anywhere. Yeah. Jump into the deep end. <laughs> totally. Totally. So moving it. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to share this one liner for your book too, because we were just talking about just, just taking action and, and learning from the pain or learning from the discomfort. And you said, when we see mistakes as a curriculum rather than a judgment, the velocity in which we transform increases, which I think is so important to note because so much of it, like we've talked about so far, depends on how you internalize or how you how you interpret these things. So if you see if something difficult happens and you start judging yourself, like I had met this person who was like, why are you talking to me? And I'm like, gosh, Julie, you're terrible at talking to people. And what you just, mm. why did you just do that? And you're so, you know, you start judging yourself. You're not making as much progress as if you yeah. would just say, huh, I learned from that next time. I'm going to, if someone's really like in their zone and doing something, I'm not going to interrupt them. I'm going to go for someone who's daydreaming or something yeah. like that, or try, try a different introduction um, and learn from it. Yeah. I, to me, that's even, it's even something as I've gotten older, that I've embraced all the more the idea that, Hey, look, take a mistake and metabolize it and use it to, as a stepping stone to make yourself better. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I make a, I make a living into some degree by public speaking and to, you know, that's all public speaking really is, is you get up and you say, well, that joke works. That joke didn't. That's right. And then, you know, you work on your, your routine or your material, if you will, mm-hmm. until it's just perfect until you can actually stand up on stage and you know exactly how this talk is going to go. You know exactly when people are going to laugh because all you've done is taken the stuff that didn't work and edited it out and kept the stuff in that does work. What if, what if we did that with life, right? Mm-hmm. What if we actually said, well, you know, turns out talking to strangers on a subway when they're 16 doesn't work. But talking to women in their 60s does. And you just kind of figured out. And then you would become the most masterful at meaningful conversations with strangers that there there have ever been. I I was just reflecting the other day on uh, I I got to meet. I was speaking at a conference in Finland and I was I spoke. And then there was a five minute break. And after I spoke, George Clooney was the next speaker. Wow. And 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 somebody came up to me afterwards, somebody with the conference and said, hey, you know, hundred people have paid a lot of money 
to meet George Clooney, I can sneak you in. I'm like, yeah, I want to, yeah, please. So he stuck me in. I got two minutes with George Clooney. And I mean, that guy, another Kentucky uh, native, by the way. Yeah. That yeah. guy was so amazing in two minutes. He made me, literally made me feel like we had been friends for years. So I, he figured out in two minutes that I was an older dad. He was an older dad. We talked about wow. stuff. And we got yeah. our picture and walked off. And I, I literally thought, I thought, wow, George Clooney and I could be friends. And then the next day I figured out, oh no, he has mastered the ability of 120 seconds with a stranger. Mm-hmm. Mastered it. Mm-hmm. And made that made me feel so welcome and so disarmed and so, and you know, imagine if he would have never. Can you imagine how many dumb mistakes he made? Nobody. Fame is very unnatural. Totally. But can yeah. you imagine if he never would have said, "Okay, don't do that. Do this. This makes people feel good. This is encouraging. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. don't do that. This is dumb. This is, you know." And and he's done the same thing as an actor, and he's done the same thing as a philanthropist, and he's done the same thing probably as a father and as a husband and mm-hmm. all these kind and as a friend. Uh, you know, there's some people who just are able to metabolize mistakes without judgment. And I think if we can learn to do that, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. I love that. I'm going to take that with me. Metabolize mistakes. That's such a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. For somebody who knows as much about nutrition as you do, that's a good (laughs) method. That's great. That's great. Well, I want to wrap up. There's a few questions I ask at the end of the podcast, but before I do that, I also just want to um, touch on your process. So in your book, you talk about your process of creating a life plan writing a eulogy and you do these, you know, vision statements and your daily planner that has really helped you to put all this into practice to actually come up with your story, but then do the work day after day to make that, that story push forward. And I think, you know, for me, it was really cool to read about it because last year was the first year I had started writing a life plan for myself, just being more intentional in each one of those, those areas of, you know, career, but also, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health, all those different different types of areas that I wanted to write a story in. Um, and it's been really powerful. And so I would I would encourage anyone listening to go check it out and to consider, you know, following that framework for yourself because, you know, I think that I mean we've seen it, you've seen it in your life, Don. That's why you wanted to share it. Yeah. Well I can, you know, there's a there's a morning ritual that I have and uh, you know, it takes about 30, 40 minutes. It doesn't take very long. But I'll give you three of the things because there's actually a worksheet that I fill out. Mm-hmm. And I just fill out this worksheet. It's now digital. I actually put it online and there's probably four or 500 people that do it with me every day. I mean, at different times. We're not talking yeah. to each other. But um, cool. one of the, the first thing I do is I actually, this sounds so morbidly, but I read my obituary, right? Mm-hmm. So my morning routine starts when I read my obituary. And I literally wrote an obituary. Actually, it's been a couple of years now since I wrote it of what uh, I want my life to have meant and mm-hmm. what I will want to have done. And it talks about being a good husband and being a good father and, and being a good business guy and serving my clients and you know serving God and all these kinds of things. And it reminds me every morning of what my story is about, what, my, what I want my story to be about. And the one thing that does is it prevents me from you know going off plot. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you'll look at a screenplay, people occasionally will send me a screenplay and say, can you give me your thoughts? And, you know, one of the thoughts sometimes is look like on page 28, like right at the beginning of act two, you you introduce this character that's very interesting. The problem is they don't serve the story at all. Mm -hmm. And it's very distracting. And I think you need to get rid of that character. And also your character starts dealing with this other challenge that it's kind of taken over the movie. Mm -hmm. Get rid of that challenge because you introduced a great movie that was a romance. And, you know, and right here you've got them, you know trying to win a bowling championship or whatever. It just feels like <laughs> you're throwing something in here. that doesn't need to be in here. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a way of reminding yourself every day what this story is about that I'm trying to live. Uh, the second thing that I do is actually, there's a little part of the, the worksheet that just, it's basically a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And what, what are you thankful for? And I just, every day I just listen. It's, it's, it's amazing how much in that moment, my mind can go from really muddled to or really maybe, you know, frustrated or whatever to just like, oh my gosh, I am so blessed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, there's there's seven or eight of them. But another one that's really important for me is I list three things that are very important for me to work on today. You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the three most important projects that I can put a little something on mm-hmm. and move into this story and and make it work and and fulfill these objectives that I've laid out? There's a lot more than that. But to me, th- those are the top three. To actually mm-hmm. remind myself what the story is about, be grateful for where I am, 
and also decide what I'm going to do today to put something on the plot. Mm-hmm. Always tying it back and, and not allowing the distractions to come in. That's great. Yeah. Well, do you have a, a minute to answer three questions? I do. I would love to. All right. So the three questions I ask everyone at the end, the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? The three things that I do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on my health. Okay. The first one is, and this is only four months old, but it has been by far the most life-changing thing I really, truly believe I have ever done. Whoa, the anticipation. (laughs) Right. And that is I bought a continuous glucose monitor. Oh, yes. Stuck it on my belly. And I watched my (laughs) app and it tells me in, you know, pretty close to real time Mm -hmm. what my blood sugar levels are. And I've just never connected food to my body. You know, some people do that naturally, intuitively. Mm -hmm. I do not. And it it has given me this data connection where before, if I ate a bunch of cookies, it would take three weeks and you step on the scale and you go, I shouldn't have eaten those cookies. Oh, yeah. Now it's the cookies or the cake or the whatever. (laughs) Now, if I eat a bunch of cookies, which I don't because I have a continuous glucose monitor, it tells you what you're really doing. Yeah, Uh, in real time. Yeah. And so that's been, so I watched that. That's the first thing that I do uh, probably for my health. Um, The second thing, and this is, this started maybe five years ago is uh, I, I take rest and predominantly weekends very, very seriously. Mm. Um, if you looked at my calendar, you would be, well, yours is probably busier, but I mean, there's 30 things every day on my calendar and you get to Saturday and Sunday and there's nothing. Nothing. There's That's nothing. Amazing. And it's, it's yeah. literal. It's not that I don't want anything on there. We just don't put anything on there. Mm-hmm. And the ability to kind of, you know, uh, spend time with the family and also enjoy the process of doing nothing Mm -hmm. uh, is fairly new to me in the last four or five years, but it's been incredibly, it's been incredibly helpful. And then the other thing is, Julie, you've been to my, my and Betsy's place here. We live on 15 acres. We've got seven acres of sort of steep slope Mm -hmm. and I'm currently in the process and I've got, there's other, there's five other guys who are helping me. So I'm not the only one doing this. I'm digging about a mile worth of trails in the woods. Oh, wow. And that, and all that to say, I get outside. Yeah, uh, I just try to be outside for hours uh, every day. It's hard sometimes in Nashville when it's zero degrees, but <laughs> right. uh, but I'm out there anyway. And uh, and those you know those three things you know checking my blood glucose, which is very very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know being outside and taking rest really seriously have been really helpful. That's amazing. I didn't know when you were talking about the steep slope if you were going to say you you jog up and <laughs> do hill runs every. Well, there day is or... <laughs> there's a there's a 175 foot tall part of the slope from the lowest part of the property to the highest part of property that we already have railroad ties on property and we're going to turn into staircases. That's cool. And so we'll, you'll be able to do, you know, that's not crazy, but you'll be able to do 175 feet. We'll do some cool workouts there. I can already see. (laughs) I don't know if I want to work out with you. That's (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on? Uh, moving more toward a plant-based diet, mm. uh, you know, transitioning from protein, you know, a lot of protein and healthy fats. I even I eat avocados every day, and I'm, I'm dialing it in, Julie. I really am. But you know, the more I read about heart health, you know, complex carbs, plant-based diet, the more mm-hmm. I'm seeing Don writings on the wall about five years from now. This is how you're going to eat, and so we'll. You know, we'll see if I make it there, but that's if if there's a cha- if there's a challenge or a shift that's in the back of my brain, it's hey, you need a bowl full of fruit in the morning. <laughs> you need, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a salad guy, so you need to figure out a way to do vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I'll give you my green smoothie bowl recipe. We have it every single day. Ah, uh, you need to do that. <laughs> Actually, please do that. I would love that. Um, tonight, I'm making apricot bars out of all you know natural. Oh. So I'm going to figure out breakfast. But you know, good. also what a fun challenge. You know, what a fun thing to be able to yeah. connect food to you know how you feel and how you get that's to, right. how long you get to live shared agency right God that's says, right hey i'll share agency with you let's go and great way of interpreting it right like you could say gosh this sucks i'm going to eat food that does you know i don't like the taste of vegetables but that's what i have to do for my health but you're, <laughs> you're excited about it <laughs> yeah I mean, there's too we you're know too much there are too many yeah. good recipes out there to be a victim 
That's great. That's great. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you, Don? Well, uh, you know, I think, I think at the, at the end of my days, a healthy life, if I've lived a healthy life, first of all, I want time because I'm 51 and my daughter is a year and a half old. So mm-hmm. I, I want to make 80 at least and would love to go oh, at least. Yeah. yeah, at least. Oh, right? yeah. I want to make that at least. So, you know, at the end of my life, I, I can see hopefully this, you know, very beautiful 30, 35 year old, maybe 40 year old woman saying, you did your job and your mm. job was to love me, protect me and provide an example. Mm. That's beautiful. Oh, to wake up every day and do my job, do my job. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. And where can people learn more about what you're doing? Where is the best place to follow you? Well, you know, if you want to learn more about what the things that we've talked about, uh, hero on a is where you can find that, uh, planner. You can find, you can mm-hmm. get a free paper copy of it. And then there's, there's a four or 500 of us I think it's 10 bucks a month who who use the digital version of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really fun too. And so here on emission.com is where all that stuff is. That's awesome. And then other things that you're doing, people can find you on social media and podcasts. And things yeah, like Donald Miller. If you want to see pictures of my daughter, uh, <laughs> Donald Miller on Instagram is is the only social media that I'm willing to use right now. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Julie, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.